0: Hello and welcome to Family Renewal. I'm Israel Wayne, your host. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as we take a look at faith, family, and culture all through the lenses of a biblical worldview. This program is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Family Renewal Podcast. I'm Israel Wayne.
1: And I'm Brooke Wayne.
0: Today we're going to talk about a topic that we really haven't discussed previously, and that is living on a single income. This is something that we've written about previously, uh, but we have never done a podcast on it. So wanted to uh, talk about this. We're going to take two different angles. We're going to look at both the macro view and the micro view. Uh, What kind of the societal view that you're supposed to um, have both parents in the workforce and have your children occupied elsewhere, Uh, and then kind of the micro view of how do you practically walk out that decision if you've decided to live on a single income. I didn't know until uh, just looking at it for a chapter I'm writing for a new book that's going to be published in spring of 2018. I'm actually working on a new Uh, book for next year. But um, I didn't know that only 7% of households in the United States have the dynamic where there's a married couple with children, and only the man works and the woman stays home with the children. That's only 7% of the US
1: population. 7%. That is so much lower than I would have expected.
0: Yeah, so uh, that's somewhat representative of us, or at least it has been over the years. Um, We have a little bit different dynamic now, because I own my own business, so uh, we have a little bit different uh, dynamic there, and we work in that together. But for a lot of years, I worked outside the home, and you were a stay-at-home mom, Mm -hmm. and uh, still kind of that way, except that now I have an office in the house, and uh, travel a lot, and I'm on the road a lot, so... Anyway, we have to kind of deal with that dynamic of single income because we're homeschooling. And part of what has led me to think about this for today's podcast is I was writing a chapter in my new book last night um, on the topic of homeschooling. And I was addressing the question that people have, uh, which is, won't I be throwing away my college education if I stay home and homeschool my children. Mm -hmm. The idea being I've put a lot of time and a lot of money into that college decision. And I have a career track that I could pursue. And um, aren't I just wasting my life if I stay home with my children all day? And society certainly would say that you're wasting your life if you're staying home with your children. But how does that impact you as a mother, Brooke? Because You probably hear that from time to time that people would suggest that you could be doing something with your life. You could be out in the workforce and you could be doing something meaningful instead of stay home with little ones who perhaps don't appreciate it. Um, (laughs) What's your thought on that particular issue?
1: Well, I did hear that um, in a varied form not too long ago at the checkout counter of a store had a bunch of my little ones around me, and I was just talking with him and, you know, coaching one of the two-year-olds, you know, not to touch things and so forth. And the checkout clerk said, well, you should have been a teacher. You're so good with children. Yeah, you should have been a school teacher." (laughs) And then she kind of realized maybe what she was saying. Well, you know, because being a mom needs that kind of, you know, good interaction with children as well. But I thought it was interesting how our society immediately picks up on any strengths a woman might have and is there's a lot of pressure in our day and age that well those those strengths or those uh, skill sets or so forth education need to be put back into the community put back into a well-paying job and then also need to be put into a career for the woman's supposed fulfillment sake so our world seems to put a lot of pressure on families to put the wife out into the workplace as a second job, for that second job, it's just to make it. And the prices have gone up so astronomically in America that it almost feels like a necessity. So I want to just bring a counterbalance and say there's a lot of benefits to having a single income. Now, it can be very beneficial for a mom to be able to run a little side business or have a side hustle or you know do odds and then jobs even or so forth on the side, but it's a lot of freedom for her to be able to invest in the children in a more meaningful way, in a more impactful way when she doesn't have the time commitments and stresses that go along with a full-time job.
0: It's interesting on this issue of wasting our college education that uh, people are accused of that if they stay home. Well, you're wasting your degree. I don't mean to be offensive, but the fact is, you're probably wasting your college degree right now, at least statistically speaking. Um, I read some data on this, and apparently only 21% of people in the workforce today are using a degree in their work. Hmm. In other words, um, it's over 60% of college graduates are doing a job that requires no college degree whatsoever. So you know, they they didn't need a college degree to do the job that they're currently doing. Right. And really only about 21% of them are doing jobs that would require their degree. Yeah. So basically close to 80% of all people in the workforce are working in some kind of a field that is not directly related to the higher education degree that they received. Mm Mm-hmm. So... In one sense, uh, I think most Americans are wasting their college degree. So to speak,
1: they found something that maybe they like better.
0: Yeah, well, or just economic uh, realities are such that they can't get employed in their field of specialty. Or a lot of people end up getting degrees in things that you, you simply cannot make a living doing. You know, again, not to be offensive, but I mean, art majors... Typically, aren't employed using their degree. <laughs>
1: yes, <laughs> and
0: so uh, or history majors or you Even know, people a lot of like music that. majors. You know, unless you're going to be teaching in a university, you're probably not going to use your degree. So, the fact is um, th- that whole concept is is one that I think needs to be reconsidered. Now, the other thing to keep in mind with the college degree is that it actually is the college degree itself and the pursuit of it that keeps many people. From being able to feel like they can stay at home economically and financially because they have all this college debt. Right. And they have to pay off this college debt. Now, I don't want to put us up there as uh, that our situation or our decisions were um, such that everyone has to follow or emulate what we did, but just kind of giving you our perspective uh, I was home educated, and you, Brooke, were home educated. And uh, I chose intentionally, very intentionally, not to go to college Mm -hmm. because right out of high school, I knew what I wanted to do for a career and I didn't need college to do it. And so I intentionally skipped going to college. You were also home educated and you decided to do some uh, online college. I guess it was more distance college at that time. Right. And so you had some college classes, which you then discontinued when we were when engaged. We were, uh, mm-hmm. So you had taken some college classes, but again, those college classes were more biblical studies and things like that, you know, fine for life, but not something that necessarily would have helped you with a career track. But at any rate, both of us have spent our married life essentially not using our degrees, uh, yours because you never completed one, and uh, and me uh, because I never got one. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, I think sometimes you learn things in college that are useful or helpful and that, you know, that knowledge you might use throughout your life. But I'm talking about in terms of direct employment. Mm-hmm. But the, the benefit to us in not going to college was not only that we didn't put those years uh, of our life into it, but that we also didn't have any debt when we got right. married. And so throughout our marriage, which we've been married over 18 years now, We've never sustained any kind of debt other than a a very reasonable house mortgage that's completely within our financial means. And so we've never been under the gun of this huge burden of debt. Mm -hmm. And we know so many couples who uh, many of them are in their 30s and they're still trying to pay off their college debt. And it's this huge weight Mm -hmm. that they carry around. And so for them, they feel like we both have to work because we're trying to pay off a college debt. So it's interesting to me, I guess, how society pushes people into college as a necessity and then pushes them into sending their children into daycare and into public school and so forth with this viewpoint that you can't afford to stay home and raise your own children and teach your own children you need to go to the workforce to work a job so that you can afford to pay off your college loans. It's just, to me, I don't know, so much of this is so counterintuitive to the way I think. And I do understand not everybody thinks like us, not everybody believes like we do. Not everybody is in a position where they could choose a career that does not require a college degree. I mean, obviously, if I go to a brain surgeon, I want him to have degrees all over his <laughs> his wall. You know, I don't want someone who graduated from the do-it-yourself home study kit. Mm-hmm. And so I, I get that. I understand there's a place for that. But what I'm talking about is just this de facto default position that Americans have that says you need to go to college and your children need to go to college. I think when you look at the statistics and the evidence, there's a lot of good reasons not to go to college. You know, I think either one of us at this point, if we felt that we needed it for some reason, with distance education now, we could go back and get a degree, Mm -hmm. uh, but we could do it online a whole lot cheaper and a whole lot faster than what we would have spent trying to go a traditional brick and mortar college experience. So anyway, that's... um, Something to keep in mind is that it actually is this college debt itself that is causing a lot of people to feel forced mm-hmm. uh, into the workforce. Sure. The other thing is, on an economic standpoint, that second income really doesn't bring in as much money in terms of net profit for the family as what some people want to believe it does or what they, what they are inclined to believe well, it does. Well, even what it
1: looks like on paper.
0: Yeah, or even what it looks like on paper. So let's say that uh, the the wife gets the second job and that because she has a college degree, she's able to go and make $50,000 a year to bring in to the family. Now that seems like an awful lot of money. However, I was looking at some reports on this, and when you factor in the additional cost to the family based on national averages that woman's take-home pay The net profit that she gains from her employment is not $50,000 a year. When you take out taxes, when you take out transportation, which includes owning a second vehicle, which includes insurance on the vehicle, transportation costs, repairs on the vehicle, the fact that she probably has to have a certain amount of wardrobe for her work environment – meals.
1: Mm -hmm. Easier meals.
0: Yeah, because most women will eat out if they're working a job.
1: Or even just not able to put the energy into cooking at home.
0: Right, so perhaps more expensive eating habits. Mm -hmm. Even social activities, like there are times when you're expected to go out to lunch with people in your work environment. There are just so many costs that are included in working the second job. That um, some people actually did a study on it and turns out that she takes home $24,000 Wow, is her net earnings from mm-hmm. that job that pays 50000 mm-hmm. So she's actually making far less. I mean, she's working a job that is bringing in 25000 half of that. If those ratios stay the same, then she's really only bringing in a little over $10,000 for the whole year if she's getting a $25,000 salary. So all things considered, the benefit to the family is far less than what most people think that it is. So when you're looking at this from an economic standpoint, you really have two alternatives. The one is if you want more net income, the one is you have to earn more. The second opportunity is that you have to spend less. Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to increase your, your net profit at the end of the year those are your two options. I think the uh, working to careers approach, that results in this earn more mentality. But quite frequently, that career woman ends up spending money on child care, lots of money on babysitting, nannies, housekeepers. Uh, There's this whole set of expenses that come in even just uh unexpected expenses from not having at least one person available in the home having an adult that's available the the hidden cost of that is such that it doesn't uh, bring in as much profit as what people assume so the other factor to all of this is the emotional cost and you see This term that's been coined within our culture over the last few decades called latchkey children. These are children who many times their parents are gone when they wake up in the morning. Uh, They're gone when they come home in the afternoon from school. The parents are either preoccupied or sometimes just exhausted at the end of the day from having to work these jobs. You have situations where these children are very emotionally impacted by this and I was reading about some of the effects that have been discovered by researchers, and there are a number of things that are extremely negative. So let's look at what uh, one research group says is the effect on being a latchkey kid. It says, loneliness, boredom, and fear are most common for those younger than 10 years of age. In the early teens, there is a greater susceptibility to peer pressure such as alcohol abuse, drug abuse, sexual promiscuity, and smoking. Adaptation to difficult situations, socioeconomic status, and length of time left alone can bring forth other negative effects. In one study, middle school students left home for more than three hours a day, reported higher levels of behavioral problems, higher rates of depression, and lower levels of self-esteem than other students. So this kind of environment where children are basically being told to raise themselves are uh, extremely difficult and uh, in some cases devastating to the emotional well-being of the child. Now, we want to make sure that we present uh, a balanced view here in one sense that uh, a lot of parents aren't completely raising their children in a latchkey environment. Um, many parents are, are far more involved in that. But still, I think we find that, that these children are spending the bulk of their day away from their parents. And uh, there can be a very negative effect there from the, the loss of relationship and the loss of time and input that they could have with their parents.
1: Several years ago, I read a very interesting article, and I wish I had kept it because then I could give credit to who wrote this article. But the basic concept was that for centuries, up until 1950s, I think is when they pegged it, the housewife, so to speak, was very valued because she was viewed as having a very viable job job. The savings that she did, the work that she did within the home to keep the family functioning and the clean clothes going and and cooking food and cleaning the house was viewed just as a highly needed job, a real job. And nowadays, a housewife is viewed as just this optional, well, you know, if you're craftsy or if you're wanting to, you know, if you find some fulfillment in homemaking, then kudos to you, go ahead and do it. But or it's, you
0: just don't have any marketable skills. And right. You have to stay home. You have to, you stay, have home. to yeah. stay
1: home and be a housewife because, well, after all, you don't have any college education or whatever. And I I found the article fascinating because they followed some interesting developments that happened in certain years. So take, um, I, f- I forget when the article put it, but late 1800s when compulsory education came on and was coming across America, the housewife uh, no longer had the children that she was raising at home during the day. And so she would put herself into her job at home, cooking, cleaning, taking care of the home. Still, it was a highly valued job because it was so necessary. And, you know, freezer dinner, meals, TV dinners weren't exactly around and cheap, But the 1950s saw a big change, and I I tend to think of, say, Aunt B from Andy Griffith, you know, classic homemaker who kept everything tidy and took great pride in her accomplishments and cooking abilities and ability to keep the house clean and so forth. Then she was there as a stable influence for, what was the look at, Opie, when he came home from school. That change happened in that time when... The washing machine, the dryer came out. So many new appliances were coming out right after World War II that made the homemaker's job so much easier. There wasn't so much time needed to make sure the basics happened in the home. And so without the children and without such a need for involvement in homemaking, it was seen as oh anybody can throw a load of washing anybody can get the dishwasher running anybody can pop a freezer meal into the microwave and voila you've got a food you've got food right there and ready so this article drove the point that it wasn't homemaking as such that was really the needed um, aspect for our culture or even for the culture's way back when you know in the 19- 1950s there was so much rebellion so to speak against that women's role because it wasn't seen as necessary and it wasn't seen as helpful for anything it was seen as just wasting your life doing the dishes and mopping the floors and vacuuming the floors and so forth this article drove the point back that they had had given up so much of raising children way back when when compulsory education came in and that the homemaking was really just viewed as this competition almost among housewives to keep their homes clean. When the real goal for washing those dishes or mopping the floors was to look the care of the family. I thought it was fascinating because it was showing how, as Americans, we gave up our investment in the family, and to a great degree, first. We hung on to that homemaking aspect of the wife in the home because it was needed still, to make it in a functional way. So when those things gave way to these wonderful appliances that we have now, it was viewed as totally unnecessary, not realizing that even with our modern conveniences, a woman in the home, there for her husband, there for her children, creates something different than just homemaking or the housewife. She's the center, the hub that's investing in the people and not in just to the material good of the
0: home. I think the relational aspects of this are important, too. Obviously, we're kind of approaching it from the viewpoint of how it affects your children, which it definitely right. does, but it can affect marriage as yes. well. Yes. Um, we actually have some friends who uh, did not have children in the home. Uh, they had raised their children, and so it's just the two of them. And they were both working outside the home, and they decided together that uh, the wife was going to stay home and was going to quit her job. Because it was putting too much strain on their marriage, yeah. having both of them work outside the home and trying to coordinate their totally different schedules and the demands of their responsibilities and and just the emotional and physical drain that working outside the home can put on a woman um, is very difficult. And so she's got to put that time and that energy and that effort into the company that she's working for, into the business, and... It gives her less energy and focus for her husband and for her children. And so she comes home and she's tired and she just has less to give. And that can create a strain relationally uh, when both parents are kind of giving of themselves to that extent outside of the home. Mm -hmm. It, It can put a relationship barrier between the two of them as well. So there's the effect of the children just having neither parent accessible to them for much of their life. But then there's also just this fact that mom comes home and and she's exhausted. Dad comes home and he's exhausted. The kids have been at school all day and people just are tired and they want right. to pop some quick, easy meal into the microwave, which means they're probably not eating as well as they should be. Uh, and then they always want to crash in front of Netflix or something. And so... Um, again, there are a lot of families who find a way to generally make that work. Uh, And for families who have been doing that, you know, they're probably thinking, well, you know, you're not really being fair to us. We do that. That's our lifestyle. We make it work. And I I know families who do it far better than others. Uh, And there are, I think, people who are in that situation and some of them do it not because they want to, but because financially they're kind of backed into a corner and they feel like they have to do it. But then there's also people who do it ideologically because they want to. They feel like they find fulfillment in their work and they find fulfillment in their, you know, in their occupation uh, or their service to community or the company or whatever. You know, that's obviously something that a family has to work out as a family Mm -hmm. um, we can't tell every family everywhere. This is exactly what you're supposed to do. This is what uh, your lifestyle should look like. But I think there are some principles and one of the key principles is if you are a parent, then you need to uh, make sure that you're putting your family first. Right. And, and if you're the
1: ones that are going to last,
0: yeah, if your children are with you in the home, you can't give them less than they deserve. Just quickly, I want to kind of close on this thought. In economics, there is a principle called sunk cost. And this is something that needs to be taken into consideration with financial investments. And the principle of sunk cost would go something like this. Suppose you have a house that you pay $300,000 for in, in a bullish economy, and then there's an economic downturn. And this house is valued at $100,000. So you just took a $200,000 loss on your real estate investment of your home. So the question then is, what do you do in that moment? What most people do is they'll put the house on the market for $300,000, even though there's no possibility that they'll get that from the house. And they'll hold out and try to get it. In some cases, uh, they may end up losing all of their investment if they're still making payments on it, et cetera, et cetera. The point being, though, what you have to do at that moment is not factor in sunk cost. Sunk cost is the initial amount that you spent on that investment. And you can never effectively make a right decision when you are factoring sunk cost into the equation. What you have to ask yourself is, Will this house appreciate or depreciate in value from this moment on? Mm -hmm. If you believe that the economy may recover, then you need to hold on to that house and wait until the house gets to as high a price as you think it will go and then sell it to get the most amount of money that you can out of the house. But if you have just cause to believe that the house will only depreciate and devalue, then you need to sell the house today, if at you believe it's lower that. Price. Yeah, if you believe that in a year from now, your hundred thousand dollar house is going to be valued at seventy five thousand dollars. You don't wait a year hoping that the market will somehow magically go back up. You sell it today, because you're not factoring sunk cost—the amount that you spent—into it. You are asking, will this appreciate or will it depreciate? And there are so many cases in life where we have to make decisions based on the principle of, is this decision going to get me where I need to go, Mm -hmm. not how much have I put into it? if you're driving down the road and you turn on a road that you think is a through road, and you spend five minutes driving down this road and then realize that it's a cul-de-sac, it's not a through road, you realize this will not get me where I need to go. So you can't say, well, I just spent five minutes driving down this road. I don't want to have to take another five minutes and go all the way back. You have no choice. You have to go back to the starting point. You can't factor in the sunk cost of your time in driving down the cul-de-sac. You have to go back to your starting point. I see in relationships, a lot of times, people are trying to factor sunk cost into relational decisions and you know, you you'll hear young women say, "Well, yes, my boyfriend is mean, and okay, he hit me, but I've already been with him for three years, and I don't want to think that I've just wasted the last three years of my life. So I'm going to go ahead and marry him, uh, because otherwise, what have these last three years of my life been? Mm-hmm. Well, that's factoring in sunk cost. Mm-hmm. What you have to ask yourself is, based on what I know of this person what I know of their character, is this relationship going to be a healthy, beneficial one? And if it's not, you need to get out of that relationship with your boyfriend. You don't go into it blindly thinking, well, maybe it'll get better, maybe it will improve because of sunk cost. And so when we talked about the issue of college and am I wasting my life, am I wasting my career, this is something that I think people need to just really not bring into the equation. I think the question they need to ask is, Um, What is my purpose in life? What does God want me to do with my time, with my life? Where does he want me to serve? And if you have children, then I think the most important question is, what is best for my child? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's that's the decision parents have to make, not the selfish decision of, you know, what do I want or, you know, what benefits me? I think Jesus said we're supposed to lay down our life, we're supposed to deny ourselves, we're supposed to follow him, and we're supposed to be servants. And so in this parenting relationship we have to ask ourselves what is best for our child what will benefit our child the most and i've never heard anyone at the end of their life say oh i wish i would have spent less time with my children and i wish i would have spent more time giving my life to the company right i I even earning
1: a few more bucks
0: yeah or even i wish i would have ignored my children more and earned a few more dollars Mm -hmm. Uh, nobody ever says that but i hear a lot of parents who have regret. Yeah, And they say, I wish I would have spent less time working, less time trying to pursue the almighty dollar. Because yes. in the end, 100 years from now, your house is gone, your things are gone, your money's gone, nobody remembers you, nobody's going rem- to remember the work that you did, you will be gone, you will be forgotten, and the only thing that you take into eternity with you are, are these eternal souls that God has entrusted to you, and he hasn't given anyone but human beings eternal souls so you don't take your house and your money and your 401k and your career achievements none of that goes into eternity with you uh, only human souls
1: if you're interested in more about this topic we have a chapter in Israel's book called Full Time Parenting, A Guide to Family Based Discipleship. And the chapter is called Living on One Income. So I'd encourage you to get a copy. It's available at familyrenewal.org. Familyrenewal.org. And you're welcome to look us up on Facebook. Israel's on Facebook at
0: Facebook.com forward slash Israel Wayne Author. We're also at forward slash Family Renewal. And then forward slash Israel. Wayne. I am on instagram at family renewal and on twitter at israel wayne you can find this podcast of course at the ultimate homeschool radio network we encourage you to subscribe to it to share it with your friends there's a lot of different ways to connect with us one of the ways that we would love to stay in touch with you is we have a monthly email newsletter we send out one email a month and you can subscribe by going to familyrenewal.org forward slash subscribe Uh, We will never rent or sell your email, and we only send one update a month, but we'll let you know uh, what we're doing and if we've got a new book out or something like that. And then, uh, most importantly, we will contact you if we're going to be in your area. I do a lot of conference speaking, and Brooke does as well. And so we do seminars, a lot of free parenting seminars. We speak on marriage, discipleship, lots of things on biblical worldview, homeschooling, So you can find out more about the topics and things that we talk about on our website, familyrenewal.org. But if you'd like to subscribe, again, familyrenewal.org forward slash subscribe, uh, you'll get an email uh, confirmation. You'll just need to click through the confirmation link after you sign up, and that'll complete the process. So we want to thank you for supporting us. Again, the book, Full-Time Parenting, A Guide to Family-Based Discipleship, Brooke and I together wrote a chapter in there. Uh, we cover a lot of different information in the book on the whole overview of a biblical view of family life, uh, but you can get that in a print edition as well as an ebook and an audiobook. Those are exclusively from our website. You can't get the ebook or the audiobook anywhere else but our website. So we encourage you to check that out as well as our other uh, parenting and discipleship and homeschooling resources on the web. So thank you once again for listening to this podcast. We're going to do another episode. If you stay tuned for the release of this next one, um, uh, if you subscribe, you should be able to get an automatic notice when the new one comes out. We're going to do another one and kind of focus more on the micro aspect of living on a single income. So we'll talk about the practical details of how do you spend less. If you've decided that you, you are going to live on a single income, Maybe you're already doing this. How do you make it? I mean, we have nine children, and some people think that authors make lots of money, but unfortunately, most authors don't. <laughs> and I'm in the category of the ones that, that, that don't, uh, but uh, we, we do make a living, and uh, we provide for our family, and we're going to share with you some of the tips and tricks of how we're able to make ends meet on essentially a single income, and uh, so we hope you will join us next time. Thank you and God bless.
1: Bye-bye.